It's a gift. You have this innate talent for deeply calm smackdowns. And Mm -hmm. it's amazing. And as far as I'm concerned, it's one of the reasons you're so often targeted by the opposition because you're just incredibly effective at destroying disinformation in a polite way. And welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. Today's pod is a candid conversation with U.S. Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg. Secretary Buttigieg previously served two terms as mayor of his hometown of South Bend, Indiana, and as a member of the U.S. Navy Reserve. He took a leave of absence from being mayor to be deployed to Afghanistan in 2014. Secretary Buttigieg is a graduate of Harvard and Oxford University and a Rhodes Scholar, completing a degree in philosophy, politics, and economics. I'm having him on today for a couple of reasons. First is to get people excited about all that we have to look forward to as the Infrastructure and Jobs Act really starts coming into its own. And secondly, to talk about where we are with the train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, and what we can do moving forward to ensure something this horrific doesn't happen again. So without further ado, please welcome my guest, former mayor of South Bend, U.S. Navy veteran, and guy making it possible for parents to sit with their children on flights without being charged extra, Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg. Welcome, Pete. Hey, thank you. Good to be with you. Thank you for joining me. I've wanted to have you on since Congress passed the Bipartisan Infrastructure Deal or the Infrastructure and Jobs Act in 2021, because I think it's essential that the American people see their government working. And I want people to feel excited about what's coming to their cities and towns. We all know that signing a bill is not the same as seeing a bill in action. And now we're at the point where the Infrastructure and Jobs Act that we saw on paper is actually coming to our communities. And it should feel like basic stuff to keep our country's infrastructure up, but it's not because we've been talking about fixing things in this country for over 50 years, but it's the Biden administration that actually got it done. So credit where credit is due. So tell us, as Transportation Secretary, what are you excited about in this bill and what should we be looking out for? What do you want people to know so that they can go out and tell their people? Well, what's so exciting is that we're now at the stage where it's moving off of the pages of a piece of legislation and onto the ground in communities. We just did nearly 100 uh, airport terminal grants, for example, everything from uh, uh, some of the largest airports like Dallas and Chicago to uh, really small airports where it's going to make a huge difference to be able to get a couple of new gates or uh, improve an air traffic control tower, redo the uh, baggage claim things like that that'll make a difference for air travelers. We know that uh, American uh, airports have have needed work for a long time. We've got tens of thousands of projects now that have been identified and are being funded, uh, again, large and small, and in every part of the country, wherever you live, something about the roads and bridges or the railroads or the the buses and trains and and transit uh, or the airports near you, something is getting an improvement because of this law. And and we're just really uh, coming to the end of the first year Uh, of uh, this five-year package. And so uh, there's only going to be more as this continues this summer. It's going to bring construction season. You're going to start noticing more people in hard hats, more things happening, maybe some temporary inconvenience because, you know, that'll happen with a road project. Uh, But the end result is going to be terrific. It's going to make our transportation systems safer. It's going to make them cleaner. It's going to make them more convenient. And we're uh, hard at work getting that, uh, that funding out around the country. When I grew up in Toronto, people used to say there were two seasons, winter and construction. So I think people have to (laughs) understand that, you know, sometimes you're a little inconvenienced, but it's for the greater good. And I think looking at our airports, you're talking about doing this 100 airport terminal grants, right? We have to remember that keeping up our airports and our ports, it's, it's not just 
because it looks bad when you fly into, say, LaGuardia, but it slows down our whole supply chain, which ends up leading yep. to inflation because our goods and our parts aren't where they're supposed to be when we need them. So updating our infrastructure means our airports aren't lagging behind our competitors, right? Like these, these are important things. The whole yeah. bill itself feels very forward looking to me. When, you know, you read about power outages in America and how they cost our economy $70 billion a year. That's $70 billion down the drain because of outages. Yeah. And then this bill was written to make a huge investment into doing things like upgrading our power infrastructure and building thousands of miles of new, more resilient transmission lines and funding right. programs to make power structures less susceptible to everything from cyber attacks to major weather events. And it doesn't sound sexy, but the whole thing means that we have less outages and that saves us money. So it's just a smart way to do business. And I think the bill was written specifically like that. And I think people often complain that Democrats like to spend money, but actually a lot of the elements in this bill are actually set up to save the country money. And I think that's really important that people know that. Yeah, you're exactly right. It's kind of like when you have a leaky roof and if you don't take care of it, maybe you think you're saving the money of, uh, of repairing it, but in the end, it's going to cost you a whole lot more. And unfortunately, so many pieces of infrastructure across the U.S. have become like that leaky roof, bridges that have had to be uh, closed down or restricted or even at risk of collapsing because there wasn't the funding to get them into better shape. Airports, like we've been talking about, roads that are, uh, that, that are not in the condition they need to be. Uh, and so when we make these investments, uh, we are strengthening our economy in two ways. First of all, the immediate term, because people get these great paying jobs working on the construction, and we're excited about that. But then the long term, uh, like, like you said, you know, when we have better airports, we are a stronger economy overall. When we have better ports, uh, that means that goods get to where they're going more uh, efficiently. And that can even help fight inflation and keep prices down, because a lot of what drove inflation were these supply chain crunches where shipping costs, which are a big part of the cost of everything we buy, went uh, through the roof. Uh, those shipping costs have settled closer to normal, partly because of the work we're doing, but we got to work on the long run issue uh, of the condition of our, our ports, our railroads, our, our warehouses, you name it. And this infrastructure bill is doing a ton to try to make that happen. It, it's about economic security. You know, you look at a lot of other countries, uh, China in particular, making huge sets of investments uh, in, in infrastructure there, not because the, the uh, you know, their regime is full of infrastructure nerds like me. Um, but because they recognize the strategic advantage of uh, funding your infrastructure. And uh, the, the U.S. Uh, for a long time wasn't doing that. Now we are. And uh, now comes the hard part. You know, we're working hard to actually deliver these projects. Getting them funded was one thing. And that took a lot of good bipartisan work here in Washington. And, and by the way, a lot of people didn't even think that was possible. They said, you know, they said the bill was dead. They said you can never get anything done. And, and I get it. I mean, there was a lot of pessimism about Washington uh, delivering. But, but look at what actually happened. Now it's, it's about working with uh, all of the players that we're funding, the, the transit agencies, the airport authorities, the state departments of transportation, the cities, the tribes, uh, the, the towns and the counties on everything from, a, uh, you know, a, a few hundred thousand dollar grant that could mean a lot to a small town trying to make its roads safer with better crosswalk designs, uh, all the way through to uh, multi-billion dollar projects to uh, uh, make sure some of our biggest pieces of tunnel and bridge infrastructure and airport infrastructure are ready for the future. 
Yeah. And you're talking about small towns. I mean, this bill is obviously creating jobs and great union jobs that are going to help mm -hmm. grow the economy. But you also wrote into the bill that you wanted it to grow in a way that was sustainable and fair by investing in communities that are often left behind. And what does that mean to you guys? What is what is that communities that are often left behind? Well, look, uh, I don't think it's any secret that there have been a lot of parts of the United States that didn't feel the benefit of some of the investments in the past. In fact, sometimes the reverse. Uh, when you saw some of the ways that the highways and railroads and interchanges were built, uh, particularly during the 50s, 60s and 70s, but not only during that time period, uh, a lot of times the, that cut through certain communities. It wiped out whole neighborhoods. And often yeah. uh, this happened in communities that had the least uh, political power or the least wealth and ability to uh, uh, to shape these things a different way. A lot of times this happened to black and brown neighborhoods. Uh, a lot of times this happened to lower income neighborhoods. We're doing it differently this time. We're, we're recognizing that there needs to be uh, a real voice of the community at the table in these projects. And uh, we're even making up for some of the problems of the past. We have a program called Reconnecting Communities. That's uh, going to places that were divided by past infrastructure uh, projects that we can uh, use federal funding to help reunite in a way that's going to make everybody better off. Because the whole point of transportation is to connect, never to divide. Yeah. I love talking about this kind of stuff because it's hopeful and it's positive. I mean, we recently had the National Climate Advisor, Ali Zaidi, on the show talking about mm -hmm. all the amazing climate initiatives we could start to look out for from the Inflation Reduction Act. And I got so many responses from people feeling grateful that they'd heard some positive news for a change because we're often inundated with the negativity that we often forget to celebrate our successes and remind people that they should be celebrating them too. Like, here's the government actually doing good work and that should be a yep. big yay, right? So I have to shift gears a little bit. I'd love to keep it positive because I think that's what people need. But one of the things uh, included in the infrastructure bill is rail. And I can't exactly mm -hmm. have you on the show and not address the recent train derailment in East Palestine, yeah. Ohio, especially since if you're listening to the Republicans, this disaster is entirely your fault, which is interesting considering we have about a thousand train derailments every year in America. And I don't remember anyone ever blaming the Secretary of Transportation before you, but here we are. So I think we have to address it. Absolutely. And, and look, uh, I think what happened to the people of East Palestine is an example of why rail safety is so important. And that goes to the investments that we're making. We're eliminating railroad crossings. We're improving safety uh, on railroads across the country through the funds that are in the infrastructure bill. But it also gets to the other part of what our department does. You know, we're, we're known right now for all of that infrastructure we're building. But we also work hard as a safety regulator to hold railroad companies accountable. Now, ironically, some of the same voices who have tried to politicize this derailment uh, were on the side of the freight rail industry lobby, weakening and watering down safety regulations and our department's enforcement power over the years. Same thing with the EPA, which uh, many people tried to uh, uh, dismantle. Now we're seeing in Ohio an example of why it's so important to have a good EPA, because the EPA is holding Norfolk Southern accountable, requiring them to pay for the cleanup of the mess they made. Uh, and it's one of the, the, the forces that is really there to stand up for the people of East Palestine. So I, I welcome there being a national conversation about railroad safety right now. There are far more derailments than people realize. There was another one today. They've been happening at a rate of several per day. Uh, thankfully, uh, it, most of them are, are not as severe. Uh, but uh, we should try to make sure that there are, there are none of these incidents and certainly none of the kinds of incidents that lead to the harm that happened in East Palestine environmentally uh, or uh, a fatality that recently happened at, a, at another uh, a facility in Ohio involving a Norfolk Southern train. And that means being willing to step up, stand up to the lobby 
and get things done. We've proposed uh, not just the things we're continuing to do as a department, uh, but things that uh, we're insisting that the railroad companies do and things that Congress can do. And, uh, you know, to their credit, uh, a lot of people in Congress, a lot of senators on both sides of the aisle have stepped up. There's a, a bill that's been filed that uh, has a lot of the things that I've been calling for in the wake of this derailment. And I think could really make our freight railroad safer for railroad workers and for anybody who lives anywhere near one of these train lines wondering uh, if they could wind up being the next community to, uh, to, to have their lives upended by, by a rail disaster. This train derailment is clearly an absolute environmental disaster, which is why I'm so glad that our sponsor today is the environmental hero, Lomi by Pila. Lomi is a countertop electric composter that turns food scraps into dirt in under four hours. I'm one of those people who tries really hard to do the right thing by the environment, but I'm not always exactly sure how to do it. Lomi has helped me so much. It's been kind of shocking to see how much food waste my family makes. We bought a little bucket to sit beside the Lomi to collect scraps until we're ready to run it, and we end up running it almost every day. When you see how much food you've been throwing away, it's kind of appalling. But don't feel guilty about it. Do something about it. When you have a Lomi, the leftovers that don't quite get eaten, the lettuce that dies in your crisper, the fruit that fuzzes before it's consumed, it's no longer out there breaking down in landfills, making methane that adds to your personal carbon footprint. It's composting down into nutrient-rich dirt you can feed to your plants or just throw in the garbage. And garbage-wise, my family has easily gone from three bags a week to one with the Lomi. I can't tell you how much I love this machine. I'm not just saying that because they care enough about this country to sponsor the show. I'm saying that because they care enough about the planet to make this product. Pila is also the company that makes the biodegradable iPhone cases, so they were already walking the walk. If you wanna join my family and start making a positive environmental impact in your own kitchen, then Lomi is perfect for you. Head to lomi.com slash politicsgirl and use the promo code politicsgirl to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to lomi.com slash politicsgirl and use the promo code politicsgirl at checkout. Everybody should have one of these machines, period, the end. You will not believe what a difference it makes. Now back to Pete. You were talking about the lobby group for the railroads, and people should know that the Association for American Railroads in Washington isn't there to promote safety regulations. They're basically there to attempt to get rid of them altogether. We know that a lot was deregulated under the Trump administration, and we know that the Republicans have continually blocked safety rules, regulated everything from railroads to actual chemical spills. Hazardous material regulations were watered down to please the industry. Railroads have opposed any regulations on train length, which I think was a major factor in this derailment, although I believe the official cause is now an overheated wheel bearing. Republicans have sought waivers to make sure inspectors can't monitor the cars. They've pushed back on staffing. Rail workers themselves have been incredibly vocal about safety impacts of these cuts to regulation, the poor working conditions, the general neglect of the lines and the trains themselves to favor stock prices over the people or the safety of these elements. So I know that we just had uh, the CEO of Norfolk Southern testify to Congress that he's deeply sorry for the event. But he also said that his company's train derailments are at the lowest they've been in 10 years, and union workers were online right away putting out evidence that that's not true. So, and you just mentioned with that his company had another train derailment in Alabama in the middle of his testimony. So I have no doubt that he's sorry for the event, but the railroad industry has a history of blocking safety rules and deregulation. So I think it's sort of bound to happen if we keep putting... Uh, profit over safety. So we were talking about this new bill that the bipartisan Senate has put out. What do you think of that? Do you think that it's enough what they have in that bill? 
I think it's got a lot of very positive things. And I'll, I'll give you uh, a couple of examples. Uh, first of all, there are steps that will directly improve rail safety. And they are the kinds of things that, that uh, the, the industry has sometimes resisted in the past, but I think are going to make uh, a real difference. Uh, but also the accountability side. Uh, think about this. If my department catches a railroad in an egregious hazardous uh, material violation so bad that it leads to loss of life, the maximum fine that we can uh, we can levy against that company is about two hundred thousand dollars. I think uh, two twenty five, <laughs> and and that's a that's a cap uh, put in by law. It's it's a part of a, a law that was passed by Congress. Now think about what uh, that sum of money, that low six figure sum of money, represents to a multi billion dollar corporation, the size of the class one, uh, as we call them, the class one freight railroads, the major railroad companies like Norfolk Southern. It is dust in the grand scheme of their profit and loss statement. So one of the things that's, that's in that bill is provisions to uh, increase those maximum fines to a level that could actually get these companies' attention. I think that's a, that's a positive thing. Uh, there are other measures in there that I think would contribute to safety in a more technical sense and would empower our department to have a stronger hand in uh, making sure that these railroad companies are accountable for the highest possible standard of safety. Think about this. The airline industry, uh, more years than not, has uh, a number of passenger fatalities set at zero. Uh, that has been true not every year, but many of the last 10 years. One of the reasons for that is that it is extremely uh, carefully and tightly regulated by the Federal Aviation Administration. I think that if it's possible to have that kind of safety pattern in a form of transportation that involves flying through the air, then it should be possible, it has to be possible, to do the same on modes of transportation on the ground, uh, whether we're talking about uh, railroads or another issue that I'm very focused on, which is just ordinary roadway deaths. They're so ordinary that, that we're used to them, but the truth is they're not, uh, they're not inevitable. They are preventable. About 40,000 people in the U.S. die every year. In, uh, in crashes, which is not something we would accept in any other form of transportation. And so whether we're talking about uh, roadway deaths, railway safety, or any other mode of transportation, we've got to have a higher bar here. And that's exactly what this legislation will do. We're doing our own work, uh, including a, a deep dive uh, on a, a regulatory basis on Norfolk Southern's safety practices, focused track inspections in the area where this happened, uh, and safety advisories on uh, a device called a hot box or hot bearing detector, uh, which can actually remotely sense uh, from the side of the railroad when you have overheating wheel bearings, which appears on the preliminary information to be part of what caused, uh, or maybe the main thing that caused, I should say, the, uh, uh, the East Palestine derailment, and could make a real difference there. So we're going to keep pushing with the authorities we do have. I'm glad that Congress is preparing to uh, potentially get us more authorities and more resources. And there are some things that the railroad industry really needs to do without us telling them to do it. I appreciate the Norfolk Southern CEO uh, re restating his apology today. Uh, I've told Norfolk Southern that the biggest thing that would make a difference is for them to lead by example in reversing the pattern of the railroad industry pushing back so hard on these kinds of, of safety regulations instead of fighting us tooth and nail embrace this as something that's going to make the industry and the country better off. It's definitely what the railroad workers have believed all along. And they've been very clear. I just sat down with the workers' representatives going over all the different safety concerns they have and have voiced. Uh, a lot of them got overruled uh, when the last administration on its way out the door did a major deregulatory action uh, on railroads in December of 2020. Uh, but we have a chance right now, uh, as we have been doing from day one, uh, we have a chance to uh, continue on a different path. That would be a far better path, I have to tell you. 
You know, I think you even have a call to rail companies to join a closed call reporting system that would protect whistleblowers who see issues that could lead to accidents. Because right now, it looks like no freight rail company in America participates in that program, which leaves employees scared to speak up for things that could save us from major accidents. And that's not good. So I love the idea that you're going to try and encourage people to join that so that it's not so much a whistleblower, but it's an open... Oh, do you? Yeah, good news on that one. They, they've actually all agreed to do it. So, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we called for it uh, publicly and uh, didn't hear much. Uh, so then I sent a more direct uh, targeted uh, message to each of the uh, CEOs of the, the major freight uh, railroads uh, and said, I want to know by the end of this week uh, if you're joining this program or why not. And to their credit, uh, they've all signed up for it. So uh, you know, we still need to get the agreements in writing. Uh, but the, they've all made that commitment. It's one example of a positive step. I want to see a lot more. Uh, but but I'll give him credit that this this is a good step. That's a great step. And it's also a testament to you. So listen, I know that you're short on time, but I want to speak to that testament to you. You obviously have this ability to negotiate with people in a way that doesn't make them angry. And I want to ask your advice. So you've become rather well known for being able to take on Republican or even ultra mega talking points and answer them with context and facts, and turn straw men arguments around without seeming angry or argumentative. It's a gift. You have this innate talent for deeply calm smackdowns. And Mm -hmm. it's amazing. And as far as I'm concerned, it's one of the reasons you're so often targeted by the opposition, because you're just incredibly effective at destroying disinformation in a polite way. So what is your secret? Because there's a lot of us out here sitting at our dining room tables, in our office meetings, just out in the world, hearing people spewing lies that make us crazy. And we either panic and say nothing, or we get into it in a way that ends up contentious where we can't change anyone's mind. So what advice would you give us when we hear an insane talking point or blatantly false disinformation that would help us turn the conversation around and keep things civil and also move things along back to a world of truth? Well, what's always worked for me is to take it back to the things that uh, everybody should be able to agree on. So, for example, in the case of the railroads, uh, that everybody should be able to to agree that uh, railroad safety is important, needs to be enhanced, and that we ought to uh, have the tools to do that. And uh, I, I tried to return to that every time people want to take the conversation in a political direction or uh, you you know weaponize what, what happened to these residents, who, by the way, are exhausted with the politics if, if you talk to them on the ground uh, there in East Palestine, uh, and, and just want to get results and want to know that they're going to be taken care of. And I try to remember, especially when I'm on TV in a more conservative environment, that there are a lot of people who are tuning in in good faith. That if uh, some of these networks and and online sources were the only place where I could get information or where I did get information, then I'd probably believe these things too. And we have a responsibility to make sure people hear things another way. Uh, So sometimes I picture myself uh, talking to an acquaintance or or a relative who uh, is on a very different page politically, but, but who I really like. And uh, what I would do to try, try to uh, get them to acknowledge that, that uh, uh, some of these things that are being circulated in, in online and in, in these right wing uh, media circles just don't make any sense. Um, and, and if I just try to take that that posture, uh, then sometimes it, it creates a way to get points across that uh, doesn't get all of our blood boiling. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I think most of us aren't actually looking to win arguments so much as to open people's minds back up and insert truth back into the conversation. And watching you do that on television, especially on right-wing television, is very, um, it gives us a lot of hope that there's still people that can be reached because I think a lot of us have shut down. I mean, I 
I'm pretty good on my feet, but I get flustered when people hit me with bold-faced lies and overconfident lies. I always tell people to get curious, you know, say things like, oh, where did you hear that? Or what's your source on that information? Or like, I'm not exactly sure that's right. You might want to look that back up. Then it doesn't seem so contentious to begin with. But I think when we watch you do it, we all kind of wish we had that skill. Well, you're kind to say that. I don't know that there's any magic to it, but I do think we all need to keep having that conversation and, you know, not just with people we agree with. Yeah, it's true. Well, I want to thank you for joining me today, Secretary. I always say that Ronald Reagan did the country a huge disservice when he said the nine most terrifying words in the English language were, I'm from the government and I'm here to help, because it's such a cynical way of thinking. And it makes people anti-government when we can see from talking to you that government in the right hands can really be a force for good. So I hope you'll come back and talk to us again when things are going in a different way or you want to talk about something else. But for now, I just want to really thank you for being in our government, doing what you do so well, and uh, keep up the good work. Well, thanks. Same here. I appreciate you having me on and uh, appreciate your voice. So that was Pete Buttigieg, U.S. Secretary of Transportation, reminding us to look around for the new roads coming to our towns, the bridges being built or fixed, the power lines being shored up or rebuilt. We have so many ports and airports that need updating and are finally getting the budgets to do so. We didn't even get to talk about high-speed internet or expanded national networks of EV chargers or the clean drinking water that will come out of lead-free pipes. But the point is to remember that our current government is doing good work. They're out here thinking long-term and making choices that will benefit us all in the long run, and we should celebrate that. And speaking of the long run, it's unfortunate we needed a horrific event like the one in East Palestine to get people to understand how important the railway industry is. But now that we're aware, we can insist this industry do better. As Pete said, we wouldn't accept this kind of danger or destruction from airlines, so why do we accept it from transportation on the ground? Regulation, when used properly, is better for everyone except maybe profiteers, which is why we need to make the fines for failing to keep us safe really hurt. And finally, as Pete said, transportation is all about connecting people. And he reminds us to keep connecting with our people personally, that it's our responsibility to make sure people hear things in another way, to keep having the conversation in good faith and hopefully change some hearts and minds along the way. I wanna thank Secretary Buttigieg for joining us today and you for caring enough about democracy to be here. Now go out and make the world a better place. Until next week, PGI. The Politics Girl podcast is written and performed by me, Lee McGowan, in partnership with the Midas Media Network and produced and edited by Happy Warrior Entertainment. All rights reserved.